All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd firstly like to thank our sponsor for this one in Fly Racing. Fly Racing is excited to celebrate its 25th anniversary in 2023. Led by the revolutionary Formula S helmet featuring Rion technology, Fly Racing continues to push the boundaries of product performance and design. We would like to thank all our loyal dealers and customers for 25 incredible years and look forward to the next 25 and beyond. Check out the new Fly Racing range at flyracing.com at Fly Racing USA on social media and all their athletes at worldwide motocross and off-road events in 23 and soon to be 24. So firstly, welcome Jason Thomas to the podcast. How's life? And thanks for taking the time to join us, mate. Yeah, everything's all good. Just uh, it's kind of the, the quiet period before the season starts. It's kind of a weird mix because it's really busy. Like there's a lot going on, but you're also want to try to take time there's holiday parties like we had a big holiday kind of lunch thing at work and so there's this kind of push pull of uh, a lot of urgency but then also you know there's a lot of also festivities and things going on that are you know a lot of those people aren't necessarily in the supercross world right so they're like what are you guys panicking about like <laughs> we're, we're counting down towards anaheim here really quickly yeah, mate, it's coming up really fast. It's sort of amazing how short the gaps really seem to be, especially when you tack on the Nations and the World Supercross and a lot of the guys like Anstey and Wilson doing the Aussie Supercross. So it'll be on us before we know it. And also for this one, I'd like to welcome MX Vice tester Brad Wheeler as well, mate. How's life? And thanks again for joining us. Yeah, no, pleasure to do it. Um, yeah, we're all good. It's just uh, enjoying the typical British weather. So, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it looks like we might have some, some cloud this weekend and not so much the rain so hoping to get out on the bike and um yeah maybe do a little bit before before christmas so uh yeah fingers crossed yeah, mate, absolutely. Hopefully it's kind here this weekend. That English weather can certainly be pretty brutal. So on to the racing. And yeah, JT, how was the failed media days from you? Obviously, you would have extracted plenty of great takeaways from that as sort of preview 2024. So I guess what were some of the key takeaways and some of the guys that you sort of will be keeping an eye on? Obviously, listening to your recent podcast, you did. You're looking at sort of Jet Lawrence. It was pretty interesting, the take you had having, you know, you've done so many of those off-season races, that brutal schedule just to sort of on the grind there. And Jet's obviously had a pretty busy off-season as well racing paris obviously did the nations and you know doing some extra stuff too so do you reckon that'll have any impact on him will he come into the season a bit jaded maybe a little bit unfresh so obviously you know the effects of burnout can have so what's your take on firstly jet and some of the other things you took from those media days yeah it's going to be interesting um you know i don't think the the book is necessarily written for for jet in 2024 but it it was something that i was concerned with um that you mentioned it's just he didn't seem like he really had any downtime uh, this whole time. And, and, you know, he's arguably the biggest star in the sport right now, globally. So everyone wants a piece of his time and whether that's, you know, Honda HRC in Japan for a week. And and I'm sure that was a really fun experience, but I feel that all these things, you know, the off season activities and responsibilities, and he's flying around the world. So from France, you know, he went to France twice. He went to Japan, he went just was back to California uh, I'm sure he's back home by now, but uh, these things take a toll. And uh, I'll reference, you know, a quote I heard from, you know, back in the heyday of the Tour de France. Uh, there was a guy that was one of the star guys and and they were interviewing his wife and basically saying, you know, you, you guys live in, in Girona, just outside Barcelona. Like, what do you guys do in your, your off season and to have fun and whatever? And she's like, we don't really do anything because – Everything that I suggest that we do, my husband always tells me that it it there's a price to pay for that, right? It's it's we can't just go walk around Barcelona all day because 
that all those steps take a toll on my legs and then I'm going to pay a price for that on the bicycle. So I relate that to what Jet has, some of the things he's had to do and some of the things he's chosen to do. Uh, but what does that look like when 2024 shows up? Because if you contrast that with like what Chase Sexton has done, what Eli Tomac has done, all they kind of been doing is hanging out and riding and testing and most importantly, a lot of resting. So, uh, you know, Jet's super young, you know, he's only 20 years old. So that, that definitely helps his, you know, as far as being able to be resilient in the face of all of that. Uh, but he, he's got to be in, and I know he was, he was really burnt out going into And if you listen to any of the comments that Hunter Lawrence has made over the last few months, going into those SMX rounds, they were both really burnt out because they never really got to celebrate these championships. They, you know, for Hunter, especially finally accomplishes this national championship. And then boom, he's got to turn around and be back to a hundred percent and ready to go at Charlotte when all he wants to do is take a deep breath and celebrate with his family. Uh, so I think there is, there is some of that between both of them. Um, they have had so much going on that I just wonder if sometime, and maybe it's not January because there's so much anticipation. It's, it's hard to not be excited for a one, but sometime in February, March, April, if that doesn't set in and they're just like, gosh, man, all I want to do is have a break when you really kind of need to be peaking. You really need to be super strong down the stretch in those, those final few races. So I don't know. Maybe he's too young to for that to set in yet, but it was certainly something I could I can tell in both of their demeanors, like they were looking for a break. They weren't looking and anticipating and excited for A1. And that so it was just something that I left with going, man, I don't know how that's going to set them up. You know, they're they're both incredibly good, but coming into A1, you want to be itching to go racing, not still wishing you had more more time off. Yeah, that's awesome insight. Yeah, you don't want to be really dreading. You want to be sort of priming yourself for that occasion because you need to be on the level. Not necessarily that you can win the season on that one, but you certainly don't want to put yourself too far behind the eight ball. And another man you mentioned there, Chase Sex, and obviously you hinted last time that they'll be dropping that new factory KTM edition. That's what they've done this week. So pretty cool to see that one play out. And I guess it's a win-win situation in a lot of cases. You know, the Sex and the KTM, they want a legitimate title contender. He was kind of sort of the partnership had run its race a little bit at HRC Honda there. And they're probably happy to have the two Lawrence brothers as their 450, I guess, a dream team as well. And then Shimoda and Hymas on the 250s. Sexton seems pretty happy. The program doing his own thing, happy on and off the bike. He's got that freedom. So do you expect him to come in pretty hard for that opener, mate? I do, but uh, I was looking for him to be more uh, more excited and more um, convincing with the new KTM and new chassis, uh, there was definitely some hesitation. And it doesn't mean he, he's not happy on it. Um, it it's just le- there's there's levels to it, right? Um, I was really looking for him to come in and say, this was so much what I needed, the right decision, the right people, the right change. Like I, I you know, all of the the frustration for last summer is gone and I'm a new guy because of all these changes. And, it, and it, it wasn't that, you know, it, it wasn't um, – he wasn't unhappy, but it, it wasn't the reassuring over the moon. So excited. This was the answer I was looking for uh, attitude that I, that I wanted to see from him. So we're going to find out, right. The, the racing is going to tell the tale of what this looks like. Uh, but he, you know, he's got a new chassis. I'm sure they're still working through that. Um, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a home run as far as I'm concerned. And, and Maybe he comes out and wins a one and I look stupid. Um, it just, 
I don't know. I still think there are some bugs there to work out, if I had to guess. KTM have uh, obviously just released the uh, factory editions sort of to come out in the next sort of early in the new year. The you can see that the frame is different to the the older model. Is that but they have built that frame after Chase Sexton's kind of decided that he how he wants his frame, or do you think that bike has not really got a great deal to do with his preparation for A1? Um, I would think that the changes were probably made a while ago based off of the feedback from Cooper Webb and Plessinger and you know some of the MXGP guys as well. Um, because it, it just it takes too much time. Like I don't think that Chase would have been able to test enough with KTM to give them enough feedback at the time uh, to get that thing ready for production now. Uh, but in speaking to the other riders, um, it was interesting. The only rider that said, I don't like the new chassis and I'm not going to it was Justin Barsha. Uh, he's going to stick with the old chassis. He didn't like the changes. He was really happy with the old bike. So, um, just like anything else, you know, it's personal preference. Um, one of the most comical kind of aspects of the entire few days was having, you know, Cooper Webb come in then Chase Sexton come in, then Dylan Ferrandez come in, and you have Webb leaving the KTM, wasn't happy with the motorcycle, going to a Yamaha. You have Chase Sexton leaving Honda because he's unhappy with the chassis and going to KTM because he thinks that's going to be the answer. And then to round it out, you have Dylan Ferrandez leaving the Yamaha that Cooper Webb wanted because he doesn't like the Yamaha going to the Honda that Chase Sexton didn't like anymore. So having those three all come in in the same day and tell their stories of their preferences that all, none of them would match up. Like I told all three of them, I want to get all of you in a room and you guys need to have therapy and sort all this out because none of this makes any sense. You know, one guy's telling us how great this bike is and he left this other team because it's terrible. And the next guy comes in and tells us he's leaving that exact same team to go to his rival's team because it was terrible. And it's just, uh, it's so funny how those things work. Um, and again, some of it's just change for the sake of change. And then other, you know, it's just, it's personal preference too, but uh, it's, it's really, really interesting to hear those comments because there's not like, there's not a lot of uncertainty in their voice about their change. Like they're telling you like this, you know, like don't friend. It's like, I don't like that. The Yamaha outdoors can't ride it. No, thank you. And then Cooper Webb was like, I needed to get off the KTM and go to the Yamaha because of X, Y, and Z. Right. And it's like, both of you can't like the, the way you're weighing this out. Somebody has to be wrong. It's just really interesting. Yeah, I guess it kind of shows how many different styles there are in the sport, and just obviously um, the build of the rider and just the way they ride the bike is. Oh yeah, like you said, personal preference. But you said about Cooper Webb moving to or back to Yamaha. How different do you think that star team is now from when he was there previous? Obviously, when he was there, it was still kind of early days in their success, whereas now they're just an absolute powerhouse of a team. Do you think the the atmosphere is a lot different to when he was there in sort of 2016? It definitely is, you know, and um, well, I don't think it's so much different than when he was on Star, but it's very, very different than when he was on Factory Yamaha. And that that was the real difference for him. Uh, you know, when when he left Star and went to what was Monster Yamaha, he had different technicians, different team managers, different everything. Um, the the pieces and bits that they used on the motorcycle were totally different. Uh, the rules that they had about what they could and couldn't use were totally different. Whereas now, going back to Star, 
and having spoken to their team, they're very open-minded about trying new things, trying, you know, they don't have to be stuck in this really rigid box as far as how to go about the motorcycle. And uh, I think for Cooper, he's very, very close with the team owner, Bobby Reagan. And that was a big deal for him is to get back to that environment and that atmosphere that he felt comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It'd be fascinating to see how it all plays out with him. Obviously, we spoke about how in Paris he wasn't really at the level. He was sort of quite a long way off, obviously still pretty new to getting back into his preseason then. But yeah, it wasn't the sort of best sign you wanted to show when Hunter Lawrence was quite a lot better than him, given the disparity in experience and just at that 450 level. So seeing how he goes, obviously, we know he's a gamer, as they say. He's always like the Sunday man in road racing. He turns it on when the lights go down. So yeah, it'll be really cool to see if he's back to the level even from last year. So watching that space for sure. And another one that probably is dominating the headlines a lot over there, mate, is the Prado Supercross. Obviously, since we last spoke, that's been officially announced. So is the excitement building around that for you and around the industry as well? It's a pretty amazing sort of set of circumstances having the MXGP 450 World Champion Racing 450 Supercross straight to the elite class. So I guess if one rider can do it, it would be him. Obviously, you spoke last time about just how that situation looks. Is it too risky? Maybe he should have skipped it and maybe given himself a full preseason assault for a quest next year. So your thoughts on all that, mate? How's the excitement ramping up around Prado? Yeah, it was it was fun to talk with him. And uh, it was very apparent in speaking with him that this has always been the goal um, since he was like 14 years old. Now, he said his goal shifted a bit when uh, he started racing MX2 a little bit. He, he He said that it was always about beating Jeffrey. Like all of his goals, his entire career – were to beat Jeffrey Hurlings. And he believes that he did that this year straight up, right? He was beating him when Jeffrey got hurt. He was leading the points the entire way, and he doesn't feel that anything would have changed. So in his mind, he accomplished what his long-term, lifelong goal was, was to beat Jeffrey Hurlings. And now he can reposition that back to the original goal was to come race American Supercross. Uh, because we were, you know, we had this room where we just spoke with him for basically like 30 minutes and you asked all sorts of questions. And it was interesting because Ricky Carmichael was in the room and, you know, all the, uh, myself, not really me, but people that he would know from American Supercross were all in this room asking. And, you know, he said, I, I didn't really grow up watching MXGP. I grew up watching Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart. So those were really the races that I watched all the time. And my heroes was when I was a kid. So now that I've vanquished this goal of being Jeffrey and winning an MXGP World Championship, I get to go back and chase this other dream that I kind of put on hold for a very long time. So now that I know that frame where he's coming from, it does make a lot of sense that he wants to come over, get his feet wet, do a few races, because in my mind, he's 100% coming over in 2025 full time. I don't think there's any question that that's going to happen. Now, I don't have any proof of that, but listening to him talk and kind of reading the tea leaves, uh, you can expect him to be full-time here in 2025. So I think he'll learn some. He'll kind of – it'll help him in his prep for next offseason to kind of know what the speed, the necessary speed is, where he – if you know, if he's anywhere close or, you know, what where do they need to get the bike better for 2025. Um, but, yeah, he's – He's excited, and that's that's the biggest thing. He wants to make a go of racing in America. And if you've been watching his videos, Instagram, any of the, the media companies are out there that have been filming him, he's making big improvements and, and quickly. So I don't know what that translates to in the results. You know, I do think he'll be a top 10 guy. I mean, his, his, his ability to get a start is beyond reproach. 
So that's going to set him up nicely. Uh, but you just hope he has a few good races, shows some flash, and then can get out of here healthy and, and then come back full-time in 2025. But um, it is a really exciting thing. And I'll tell you what, the uh, the thing for me will be 2025 Pro Motocross because that dude is the real deal when it comes to motocross. You know, Supercross, we'll see. He's got some learning to do. But 2025 Pro Motocross, to have him and Jet and Hunter and all these guys go at it is going to be phenomenal. Absolutely, mate. Totally agree. And I was going to ask you about the expectations. Is top 10 realistic? Obviously, you think about a guy like Dean Wilson who will be around that level. You know, he's done Supercross for so many years. And just to sort of slot in and beat someone like that would be very impressive in the grand scheme of things. And there's so many, you know, elite riders in that field, absolutely stacked. And I guess how much weight would you be placing on this three-round stint that he'll be doing? It's obviously a pretty key period determining if he wants to go full-time. So obviously so technically gifted, so adaptable, so intelligent, doesn't crash much. But I guess you got to admire and respect the fact that he's throwing himself into that cauldron at A1 and racing straight into those 450 classes and, you know, riding and racing supercross, as you know, are two very different things. So is that realistic, that top 10? And there's just so much to learn, so much room for growth and so much scope for improvement for a rider like that, isn't there? Yeah, I think he'll be okay. I, I, you know, the way he gets starts is going to be the biggest help for him. You know, he's going to put himself in positive situations. And if you look at a guy like Dean, his starts have been historically terrible. So it's, you know, if, if you asked Jorge Prado to come in and start 14th each week and then battle into the top 10 in his first ever Supercross races, that would be a really difficult ask. But I think you're going to see him running around in the top five on the first lap more times than not. So that sets him up pretty nicely. The challenge for him, I think, is going to be can he withstand the shuffle in the early laps? Because think about guys like Justin Barsha and Jason Anderson or Malcolm Stewart. Like They're going to get in and get aggressive with him, right? If, if he's in the way or if he's got a weak spot, like they're not going to wait. They're going to be probably more aggressive than they normally would with anybody else because they know he's only around for a couple of rounds and they want to get him out of the way. Uh, so he's got to be able to kind of withstand that barrage of riders. And, you know, if, if you're not around these elite guys enough, you hear them say this all the time. And if you, you just get through the first seven, eight, ten minutes, basically get to halfway without getting in trouble, without doing something stupid, without getting knocked off the track, the race gets kind of easy because everybody sets, settles into their pace and everybody's lap times are relatively similar. It's just being able to go at the beginning, being able to handle that sprint speed and not getting into any sort of trouble, crashing in the first turn, following yourself, doing something stupid. So I would say the same thing for Prado. If he can hang around inside the top six, seven, eight in the first 10 minutes, he'll be just fine. Yeah, I think the obviously the he's a world champion, two time MX2, MXGP world champion. I don't think the like the pressure and the lights and the situation are gonna phase him too much. I think the his biggest issue will be, um, like you said, if one of the if one of the guys runs in on him in the turn, it's then if he can quickly regroup and still get through the rhythm section at race pace rather than sort of having to double his way through there and lose a lot of time. I think that's where the experience with guys like Tomac, Roxon and Anderson is is what sort of plays a, a big part in why they're as great as they are. But do you think do you think Prado, this is like the most hyped European rider to come over and do a supercross race probably probably ever? Do I think he's the most hyped? Yeah. Yeah, for supercross, 
it's hard to make an argument against it. Uh, Jeffrey racing Ironman in 2017 was, was huge deal. Um, absolutely huge. Um, you know, I, I don't know that Jorge Prado carries the star power that Jeffrey does. You know, if, if this was Jeffrey and the legacy of Jeffrey coming over to race supercross, I think it would be far and away the most hyped ever. It, it just has something to do with, with Prado's demeanor. You know, he's very soft-spoken. He's not super brash. I think most people kind of like him. So I'm super excited. Uh, but I wonder your average fan who maybe doesn't tune into MXGP, they don't know a whole lot about it. Are they going to know so much about Prado racing this race? I don't know. That's just what I wonder. Um, he He's kind of a, a little bit more of um a quieter superstar than, than what a Jeffrey Hurlings would be. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, obviously the, uh, we've heard rumors that the, the Coon and brothers are going to be sort of heading stateside, um, possibly in 25 also. Where, where do you see them sort of stacking up? Obviously they're a lot younger than Prado. They're obviously in the 250 class. Like I think they're, I guess they'll be 18 or 19 when they move over. Do you sort of see it going the same as VL or more successful, less successful? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of learning for them yet. You know, they're, they're so young and they, they have so much talent, but it it's going to take some time, you know, and they, the biggest thing is they need to sort out some of the inconsistency. You know, you can't, you can't go into every moto thinking, well, if I don't win, it's no good. I, you know, I don't care if I finish, if I don't win, right. That, that's not a sustainable path. Um, and that's just going to come with maturity and understanding what it takes to win championships. And, and I think this year racing in Europe is a great opportunity for them to do that. Uh, take another step towards just maturity, both, you know, mentally and physically and, there will be an opportunity for them in 25, I believe, in America. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I've heard that they're going to stay now, but I, I know that they want to come to America. And with, you know, with the teams that they're on, it's it's kind of moving money around, right? Like, it's all under the same umbrella, so they can move them kind of when they want to. Um, I just think they still have some learning to do. And the big thing you don't want to do from, you know, watching riders come to America time and time again is you don't want to come too early struggle and then teams don't believe that you have what it takes and then you blow your opportunity that's what you don't want to do so you want to come and make sure you come when you're ready or you know if you sign a two or three year deal and you're going to come over really young then maybe that's okay but you just want to make sure that you're ready to make that jump and succeed right away uh, because it's it's a really high bar and teams will give up on you really quickly or, or just the the influence you know the the influential people will kind of write you off quickly if you come over too early. And maybe it just wasn't time yet, but if you force it too early, then I think you can put yourself in a precarious position. Yeah, it's going to be exciting seeing how that all plays out. Another sort of thing that's a little bit of the unknown is the whole the triumph situation, mate. How prepared are they? What do you expect to see out of them? How's the bike? Have you got some insights on that? Because they've been pretty quiet on a lot of things, haven't they? They have, and it's uh, that's a really interesting dynamic to watch unfold because you look at, what they have to step into that 250 class, the engine packages that those teams have are incredible. And you look at the struggle that like Honda HRC and Mitch at Pro Circuit Kawasaki and these teams have gone through just to keep up. Like they're 
they're pulling out all the stops to try to get their motorcycles competitive. And these are teams that have been working on the same, you know, relatively same engine for 15 years or longer. You know, it's, uh, it's a crazy thing to think that Triumph's going to come in and have a competitive package straight away against these teams that have been refining and improving and refining and improving for, for decades now. So I don't have any preconceived notions. Um, I, I'm sure they have really smart people involved. I just know that it's a really, really difficult ask to have a successful motorcycle right away without, without dealing with you know, kind of endurance failures and things like that, right? They're going to be pushing that engine to the edge to perform. And anytime you're on the edge like that, typically you you start to run into to some sort of endurance problem. Yeah, I guess in the same boat in a lot of cases, there's the beta with Nichols and Bloss, obviously two really experienced riders, especially with Colt doing that testing. He's so sort of in tune with the bike. Obviously, the HRC guys had so many positive things to say about him. So I'm sure he's streamlined the testing process and a really great asset for them as well as Bloss. So how excited are you about those guys coming in and seeing what sort of impact beta can make on the stage? Yeah, that one's that one's very curious to me. Um, you know, they it's not the same team that's running the the MXGP effort, right? So it's different people, different technicians, different kind of organization behind it. So I don't know. You know, I know they've they've had some some challenges with the bike, getting it adapted to Supercross and getting dialed in. Um, so yeah, I just hope there's there's patience there, and you just hope that guys can stay safe as they work through just the the learning process of that motorcycle. Um, you know, I look at a guy like Colt Nichols. He's coming off of factory Honda HRC last year, right? And and going on to a bike that's unproven, really has zero supercross experience to speak of at all. So I would love to be, you know, inside his mind and get his true thoughts. You know, of course, we'll never get those. You're going to get, you know, layers of it. And he's, he's never going to speak poorly of it. But it has to be a really challenging dynamic to go from peak performance, the bike that won the Monster Energy Supercross Championship, to a motorcycle that was really not designed for supercross per se and has zero experience, you know, on with no, no one's raced that bike in supercross. So they can't give you a bunch of feedback to, to make it better even. So um, it's going to be something to watch unfold. Uh, you know, I don't know who fares better between triumph or, or beta. And then we have the, the coming Ducati project as well. Um, but in the end, more jobs, more rides, more bikes, more teams is, is always going to be better. Yeah, do you can do you think Colt is gonna kind of pick up where he left off on the Honda in the Supercross sort of that sort of five to ten range, or do you think the the beta will sort of hinder his progress a little bit and sort of knock him back to more of the fifteenth range? Yeah, I mean he he wouldn't like me saying this, and it but it's really not reflective of him. It's just very difficult for me to think that a first year Supercross bike is going to be on the level of a factory Honda 450, right? I just can't imagine that's reality or possible. Um, so having said that, I think his results will suffer some. You know, that doesn't mean he's going to be 18th, but to think that he has a chance to come out at A1 and be in sixth, I don't really think that's going to be doable. So um, I think a successful season for Colt looks something like he stays healthy, he makes all the main events. They don't have catastrophic failures with the motorcycle, and he can consistently stay in the top 15. To me, that is a successful 
inaugural season for that motorcycle and supercross. Yeah, with um, <clears throat> so with Adam Cincerillo, they've got the new twenty twenty four Kawasaki. Um, I was lucky enough to ride it a couple of weeks ago. It's it's much easier to ride, much smoother. Do you think that's going to sort of help? Um, his like wrist nerve situation, the fact that the bike's easier to ride. I know obviously their bikes are completely different to what they got at the crate, but the general the general basis is slightly smoother and more complacent. Yeah, they he and Jason Anderson both said that the motorcycle was a significant issue for them in 2023. Um, I don't know for sure that Adam did, but I know for a fact Jason Anderson used the BFR shock last year and he, he could not get it to work right. He had big issues with it really all season long, he said. So both of them were really uh, relieved and enthused that they're going to be on this 2024 bike. Um, for Adam, you know, he still doesn't really know what's going on with his arms. Like there's no real answers. Uh, it's just kind of the same problem. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. So hopefully the bike helps some. Uh, but I, I think the bike will make a bigger difference for Jason Anderson than anyone else. Because if you look at his 2022 season, he won seven races. He was absolutely in the championship fight. You know, if you take away some of his errors, maybe he is champion. He wins his first pro motocross 450 race of his career. Like everything was clicking. He looked like he was ready to go into 2023 and battle for championships again. And then nothing like that came to fruition. Uh, he was on the ground a lot. He looked disenfranchised with the motorcycle a lot. He looked disinterested. Um, and I think he was just really frustrated and that wore him down. It just kind of took his enthusiasm for the season away. But having spoken with him last week, he looked different. He looked uh, happier he just looked like he was in a better place. Like, and a motorcycle can do that. You know, I've, I've switched motorcycles from year to year and gone both directions where you, you switch to the new bike and you just cannot get it to do what you want. And it really takes a toll on your season. And then you switch again the next year and you're like, Oh yeah, everything's good again. Like I'm right back to where I was. So we'll see um, if that's the case for Jason Anderson, but he did mention that he's like, every time I tried to go back to that 2022 pace and be able to push the, the push the limit, the bike would put me on my head. I just couldn't do it. And so I basically had to stop trying to do that. So uh, we'll see what 2024 brings, but I think that's what he's going to try to get back to is, is riding on the edge again. Yeah, it's really cool to see how he mm -hmm. goes. Obviously that 2022 was incredible and yeah, he wants to get back there. And I guess another man cutting a refreshed and revitalized figure heading into this year is obviously Dylan Ferrandez. You touched on him before, but he seems so happy with the Honda, so happy with that program. Got that freedom. The framework seems to be there for him to really sort of make some good strides in Supercross, which he's obviously struggled in 450 Supercross. He's got the O'Neill gear, the five gloves. He just seems really happy at the moment, happy to be on that Honda. And I guess the big question is, does he translate all that happiness into the results in the racing? Well, he was interesting because I don't think I've ever seen someone so in love with their motorcycle as Dylan Ferrandez is with his Honda. Um, it was remarkable just how happy he is. And I mean, he doesn't even have a factory motorcycle, you know, he's using factory connection suspension and he's kind of hand choosing the pieces and parts he wants to put on that Phoenix Honda. But he was like a new person, you know, happy, smiling. His mood was really light. Um, where most of the year last year it wasn't. It was heavy. He just looked like he wasn't having very much fun throughout the summer. Uh, so that was cool to see. You know, win, lose, or draw, he looks like he's just in a much better place mentally. And, uh, yeah, that, so that that was great to see. Uh, you know, I, as someone who's 
you know, dealt with ups and downs mentally. And you can just kind of tell when someone's really heavy or if, you know, things are kind of going easy and they're white and their mood is good and things like that. So that was refreshing to see for him. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's not making the money he used to make and he doesn't have factory team and all those things, but even, even in the light of that, he just looked like a much happier person to be around. So uh, we'll see what that brings. You know, I don't think Supercross is going to be something where he just goes out and starts winning or anything, but I think pro motocross in 2024, if he's as happy as he was in the, you know, early December, he could be some, somebody to, to seriously worry about. Then you factor in, what if something happens to one of the Honda guys and, or they just decide to start helping him more. He starts getting some factory equipment underneath him. He could be a legitimate threat uh, once pro motocross starts. Yeah. Well said, mate. It'd be certainly cool to see how that plays out for him. And another guy that sort of, you know, we really want to see do well and he is such a skilled rider is Malcolm Stewart. Obviously you hear the flying at the test track stuff, but apparently from what you were saying on your podcast, Christian Craig was saying he actually is really flying at the moment. So interesting to see how that goes. Obviously they both, you know, want a bit of a bounce back after injury interrupted seasons this time around. And I guess, how are they faring with the bike? Are they feeling more comfortable? Because obviously you probably didn't quite see the level of, you know, expertise in the whoops where they make so much ground up in those areas for those two riders. So how good is it going to be seeing those guys fully fit and firing come A1? Yeah, it should be good. You know, Christian was just kind of back to normal. You know, I think he's healthy again. Mentally, he's back. And uh, he's just kind of ready to to go again. Because if you think about A1 for Christian last year, he comes in. He's like second in the in the free practice. I think he was third in the first qualifying session. And then he has this huge crash in the final qualifying session. And even to, you know, in his own words, he said, that just ruined my confidence. Like I came in on top of the world and then I didn't, I didn't trust myself anymore after that crash. And you could really see his results suffered. Like he was running around 10, 11, 12, the first several rounds of the series. And he started coming back a little bit, getting back in that six, seven, eight spot. And then he had that big injury. So I think mentally for him was just getting back to a place where he trusts himself to go fast again and, and allow himself to to ride without hesitation which he it sounds like he is but having said that all he could talk about while we were speaking with him was how fast that malcolm was going you know he basically said everybody's just chasing malcolm everywhere we go no one can touch him doesn't matter which track we go to what day it is we're all just slower than malcolm right now so that was pretty telling uh, we'll see what that shows up and what that translates to at Anaheim one, but I heard that from more than a few people about how fast Malcolm Stewart's going right now. See, Malcolm's changed boot brand. I don't know if you know anything about that. He's obviously moved from the, the gay into the city. Yep. Does the city have much presence in the US? I don't really ever recall seeing anyone in the city boot. And obviously Gayer's pretty uh, popular with Brayton and uh, the Husky team and obviously yep. James Stewart Warren for years. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, you know, in the U S it's all about distribution. That whole game is about who has basically nationwide distribution. And, um, so yeah, CD's been around, um, you know, different riders have wore them at different times, but they didn't have that, that, uh, kind of poster athlete, like Antonio Cairoli was for years for MXGP. Um, so that's that, I think it's a great move for them. It's certainly going to get them a lot of, uh, a lot of eyeballs that they didn't have before. Um, but then for, for Garnet, you know, Garnet's had lots of guys, Zach Osborne for years. Um, and, you know, the company I work for Western power sports has distributed Garnet for a really long time. So I've, I've been super familiar with that brand. I wore it back in 2005 myself. 
Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's just one of those things where budgets change and money gets moved around and CD probably sensed an opportunity to get a, a really visible guy that was going to be global, right? It, it, Malcolm's following is, is global, right? He's very popular rider around the world. So I think it was a really good get by them. And they'll be happy having Prado out there too. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. No doubt. I think Prado kind of took the reins from Cairoli there as far as uh, having that, that marquee guy. Yeah, they seem to have gone not all in, but they've definitely upped their game. Obviously, with Prado, they've got the um, the the Yamaha MX2 team in GPs with like Geertz and Beniston and all those guys, and yeah, now Malcolm Stewart as well. Um, just to flick back to Jason Anderson, you were saying he was unhappy with his bike this year. Uh, he obviously sees Roman Fevre absolutely smashing it in the GPs on this new model twenty twenty four. Does, is does, is he having conversations with his team saying like is there any way we can get on that bike or get the frame or do anything because this I'm not enjoying this bike is that a conversation he has or is it just he doesn't even bother asking Yeah I think you know when when the main problems are going on were during Supercross and there would have been no way to get that model into the US and homologated in time uh basically the new models don't land in the US until at least say July, something like that. So we would have been well into the, the motocross championship by then. Now, sometimes what you will see is if the, if the bike is much better, those guys would switch to it for the last few rounds of pro motocross. I've seen that happen before. And then he could have maybe raced it for the, the SMX playoff rounds. That's definitely happened in the past. Um, I can remember certain years of Hondas where the guys would change to it. Uh, Ryan Villapoto famously switched to the 20. 13 or 14 uh, at Unadilla right when it came out because it was much better. So I think most of Jason Anderson's problems were were far too early in the season. You know, you're talking like February and March to where it wouldn't have really been possible. Yeah, it's really cool insight. Yeah. Just before I let you go, mate, because the time's sort of getting away from us here, but just what's on the cards for you over Christmas? Obviously, you're busy. Everything with Fly is going to be sort of working really hard towards 24. And I guess the brutal schedule kind of starts now, doesn't it, mate? Obviously, it probably feels like you barely had any time off since the Nations and all that stuff. But yeah, it's all happening pretty quick, mate. And just one more guy we wanted to touch on from you is Tomac, obviously. Expectations sort of hard to gauge a little bit coming back from the injury, but he's such a fierce competitor. You know, he'll be locked in. He sort of works away in the shadows there. No one really knows what his program fully is obviously he's done that bit with Deegan and he keeps his cards pretty close to his chest so just everything going on with you mate and your thoughts on Tomac before we wrap this one up yeah so for me it's um just try to enjoy the holidays I we're actually going to film the Racer X preview videos next week so I'll be in Vegas uh, for a couple of days next week and then yeah just full-on holiday festivities try to enjoy that a little bit of course we'll be working as we go but you got to try to carve some time out for yourself too um you know life's about more than just work um, as important as it seems at the time. If, if I don't take some time and, and enjoy it, um, you look back and kind of wonder what's the point of all this stuff. So uh, get through the holidays, get through Christmas and new years. And then, yeah, it'll be full time. A one, you know, I leave for Anaheim one on, I believe January 4th, something like that. So as soon as new year's is over, I'll, I'll start packing for a one. And of course for, you know, Western power sports and fire racing, we got to, get our our hauler and all of our hospitality stuff out of here and on the road in the next week or two to, to head down to California and be ready to roll for Anaheim. And then the show starts all over. So 31 rounds, um, kind of working out my MXGP schedule too. 
Um, I'm going to try to make it to a few rounds, motocross the nations, of course, as well, but it's going to be a full calendar for me. It's going to be wide open. Um, I'm, I'm filling up even my off weekends with the MXGP stuff. So I'm here for it. Um, it's been a little slow for me lately. I've been kind of bored to be honest the last couple of weeks. So any opportunity I have to make the most of it, I'm going to be going for it in 2024 and just try to take advantage of every single opportunity I have in front of me. Um, as for your question on Tomac, yeah, that was fun. Um, I got to talk to him both in a group setting and then one-on-one I did an interview uh, for the, the Supercross crew. And he seems like he's in a really good place. And I wasn't sure what to expect from him if it would be like, yeah, we're just going to kind of ease into it and try to get some points in January and then slowly ramp up. Or if he was going to be like, no, dude, I'm good. Like I'm coming into A1 just like I did in 2023. And it seemed like more of the latter, you know, and you don't really ever know where you are until the gate drops at Anaheim. You just don't know. You can guess, you can, you know, hypothesize where your level is. You know, I'm sure him getting to ride with Deegan, and also getting to ride in California last week, he got to ride with other riders, which is going to give him a better gauge. Uh, but riding by yourself, you know, you're off the stopwatch and things like that. You, you're you not really getting a true um, a true gauge of where you are, in my opinion. Um, I thought I was really ready coming in day one and had my doors blown off and realized I wasn't at all. And I've also come in lackadaisical and like, oh, man, I'm actually pretty good. So. I'm sure he learned a lot in the last 10 days because it was the first time he had been out to California and been riding with other people, but I do think he'll be fine. Uh, what does that look like for a one? We'll see. Um, you know, last year, both 22 and 23 were historically his best Januarys to date. Um, he would tell you that it's because the Yamaha and his starts were way better. So maybe that continues, you know, if he gets good starts and there is no, residual lag from the Achilles, then maybe he's just off to the races again. Uh, so we'll see on that. I, I do believe that starting fast will help him a lot. You know, it'll help his confidence. He'll get right back into the groove of where he left off in Denver. And it, it won't be this trying to think of the way to phrase it. If he has a really bad couple of opening rounds, I think doubt starts to creep in a little bit and you wonder, can I get back to the level I was right? Is, is, am I too old? Did I lose the edge with this injury? But if he starts fast and comes out swinging, then I think he just gets right back to the old Eli Tomac that we've always known. Yeah, awesome, mate. Thanks again for yeah, all your insights and for taking the time and your busy schedule. We definitely hope you have an awesome Christmas and we look forward to speaking again soon, mate. And just quickly, thank you also, Brad. Any final thoughts from you before we wrap this one up? And obviously, thank you to Fly Racing for sponsoring this one too. No, I think I think we're all just waiting on the edge of the sofa or couch, wherever you listen to this, for A1. I think everyone's just waiting for that gate drop now. Everyone's had enough of the offseason in there. <laughs> yeah, ready to watch some racing. So, yeah, not long. Countdown's on. All the best, lads, and thanks again for taking the time. We look forward to speaking soon. Thanks, Cheers. guys. See ya.